Welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, the latest on shares, markets and investments, now available on your Amazon Alexa. Hello and welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, now also available on the UK Investor Magazine mobile app. For today's podcast, we're going to be taking a look at a London-listed investment trust. It's a trust that focuses on the asset class of forestry. We're going to be looking at the global timber market dynamics, and then we're going to be drilling down into the individual assets that the investment trust holds. The trust is the Foresight Sustainable Forestry Company, and to discuss the trust, we're very kindly joined by Richard Kelly, who is the co-founder and co-lead of the investment trust, Foresight Sustainable Forestry. Richard, thank you very much for being on the podcast today. Jonathan, uh, yes, good morning. Thank you very much for, for having me. So regular listeners and users of UK Investor Magazine will be aware that Richard uh, presented back in September um, and presented the, the trust then. So this podcast is really following on from that presentation. So if, if anybody would like to watch that presentation in full, do check out the video section on the UK Investor Magazine website where you'll be able to find out a little bit more and there'll be some illustrations there. But we're going to be looking at the, at the trust and what's been happening in, in recent months. Before we get into it, please, Richard, for people that aren't familiar with the trust, would you be able to give an introduction, first of all, to yourself, as well as the Foresight Sustainable Forestry Trust, please. Absolutely, yeah. So um, my name's yeah, R- Richard Kelly, and um, uh, and I co-founded and, and co-lead Foresight Sustainable Forestry. Um, uh, I've been with Foresight Group, um, which is the investment manager for uh, the investment trust, for for nine years, um, and for the last five five to six of those, I've been solely focused on. Uh, investing in forestry and uh, and natural capital. Foresight Sustainable Forestry is the London Stock Exchange's first and still only um, investment company focused on uh, UK forestry and and natural capital. And the trust really offers investors, um, you know, direct and liquid a- access to. Um, you know the attractive characteristics of of, of forestry and uh, an afforestation, um, which is which is traditionally it's an illiquid asset asset class, and it's, there have been high barriers to access um, access the asset class until until we IPO'd a couple of years ago. We yeah primarily invest in uh, afforestation assets, and that just means we take. Um, bare land if in rural parts of um, Scotland, Wales, and Northern England, um, typically sheep uh, and pasture uh, land. Um, we ac- acquire it and then we develop it and convert it into uh, new forests. Um, uh, we also invest in existing forests uh, uh, as well, which provide a, a, you know, an income for the um, for the investment trust. Thank you very much for the introduction to the trust. I think the question is, why forestry? Why forestry now? There is global recognition that we are in the midst of of a climate emergency um, and trees, as they grow, directly sequester and suck carbon out from from the atmosphere. So in that sense, they make a very direct contribution um, to both the fight against climate change, but also to um, uh, the, the fight against biodiversity loss. I think in terms of timing and within the UK, uh, forestry is recognised by the UK government as a a key part of its national net zero plan. That there is not a credible way to achieve uh, UK net zero 2050 without 
um, a substantial amount of, uh, of woodland creation ac across the UK. And as a result, we have seen um, uh, increasingly generous grants that are available um, and that, that increases the, re the returns that are available for, for woodland creation in the UK. And then I think the, the final point to make on, on this is, um, is as a result of the, the fallout from Brexit. Brexit has meant that the basic payment scheme or the BPS, which is the main subsidy for farming, um, is being completely tapered away uh, over, over several years. Um, uh, it is being replaced with it with a different uh, uh, subsidy regime. But overall, the level of subsidies that goes to um, traditional farming and, and agriculture is, is forecast to, de to decline really quite steeply. And that is pushing um, you know, many farms uh, and pieces of agricultural land to the point of becoming, un, uh, you know, uneconomically viable and there is an opportunity to you know trans you know acquire and transform that land into uh you know sustainable forestry which is fundamentally more valuable um so from that perspective now is a is a great time to get into you know, uk forestry and, and woodland creation thank you very much so we're going to take a, a top-down approach to this podcast and we're going to start with looking at the global timber market, and then we're going to move through to look at the individual assets within the trust. So, Richard, what's happening out there in the the global market at the moment? You know, looking back uh, a few years ago, we saw lumber hit record highs. Of course, it, it, it's come down since then. So, what are the key influences out there that you're keeping an eye on that are driving the underlying prices of timber at the moment? Globally, following decades of deforestation and um, unsustainable forestry, um, so where uh, timber is harvested but then not restocked, um, there is a, a very substantial uh, global supply deficit. Uh, the World Bank estimates that there is um, about a billion cubic metres of, um, of timber supply deficit currently. Um, and looking forward, they are forecasting that that supply deficit is going to more than triple by 2050. And that's underpinned by a growing population um, and urbanisation uh, where, where timber is required. Um, but also there's there are significant shifts towards the use of more sustainable materials and Timber and sustainable timber has is a you know is a carbon negative material and has you know excellent um, yeah sustainability characteristics. So it's increasingly being used as an alternative to um, uh, more fossil fuel intensive materials such as steel and, and cement. We're going to be discussing a little bit later on in the podcast, Richard, the, the carbon market and how the investment trust fits into that. But of course, the trust is focused on the UK. So it would be good to get a bit of context as to what's happening in the UK markets at the moment and where it fits into the global picture of the timber market. Yeah. So this this global shortage uh, of the supply of, of timber um, is really amplified in, in the UK. Um, it might surprise you to hear that the UK is actually one of the least forested countries um, in Europe. We only have about 13% uh, canopy cover versus nearly 50% on average across the rest of uh, across the rest of Europe, and as a result of uh, of that, we are a very substantial net importer of timber. So we import um, uh, between 80 and 85% of all timber that is um, that is consumed within within the UK, and. 
incredibly, that makes the UK the third largest importer of, of forest products and, and, and timber uh, globally. Uh, and we're only behind um, China and the US. So this, there is this real shortage of, uh, of yeah, sustainable timber production in, in the UK. And that, that st- structural imbalance is really long term by its very nature. You know, we could plant all of the trees that we need to um, uh, to resolve that structural imbalance, but it literally takes 35 to 40 years for those trees to grow and, and reach maturity for, for harvesting before that would in any way impact, um, uh, impact the supply side. So there's this long-term structural, structural imbalance, um, and that com- uh, presents a, quite a compelling um, uh, investment opportunity because by establishing new new forests in in the UK, um, they're expected to enjoy you know appreciating timber prices because of this fundamental and, and long term shortage in the supply of of forestry in the in the UK. Thank you very much. So, I think now we should move on and probably Richard look at the assets that are held within the investment trust. Of, of course. Uh, that they're forestry and you're very heavily into afforestation across the, the UK. But it would be good to give listeners an idea of where these are, are located, the stages that they are, you know, are these very early uh, plantations that have just, just been planted or, or do you have assets within the portfolio which could be ready uh, to be um, produced into timber in the coming years. What does it sort of look like in terms of the geographical location across the, the UK and the stages of, of the assets within the portfolio? Sure. So we um, currently have a portfolio that extends over uh, just more than 12,500 hectares, which is a, a substantial land area. Um about uh, just less than 50% of the portfolio is invested in properties that have some form of afforestation or woodland creation potential. Um, the other um, uh, just less than 50% is invested in existing forests um, that uh, have a, a whole mix of different age class uh, and tree species within them. Um, but those existing forests um, Every year, a proportion of them can be harvested and generate uh, and generate uh, an income for for the company. Um, in terms of the afforestation um, side of the portfolio, I mean that um, really is the engine room of FSF's sort of returns and you know positive um, environmental impact. So the portfolio has uh, nearly four and a half thousand hectares of land with the forestation potential in, in the portfolio. And just to put that number into perspective, I mean, that is equivalent to uh, the total, a third of the total amount of tree planting uh, that the UK uh, achieved last year. So it's, it's a material portfolio from a national per- perspective. And there are broadly three stages to our forestation assets. So we, uh, we start by acquiring land that uh, we deem has excellent afforestation potential, um, uh, and and but that land it come it doesn't come with planning permission um, or the woodland creation grant. 
um, both of which are needed to, to facilitate planting. So the first stage is we it's development stage land, and we're looking to secure that planning permission and um, uh, and, and grant approval. Once we've then secured both of those, it moves into something called planting stage. So it's in the process of being uh, of being planted. Um, and then once these the, these forests have been planted, well, they move into a category called establishment stage of forestation assets. So for the first uh, two to three years after the forests have been have been planted, the trees are in a in a process of stabilisation. There will be a, an expected level of mortality, um, and there's some quite active management to sort of beat up failed saplings and restock them with new um, uh, yeah with with with, with new ones. Um, and so um, they're, they're the three stages. And, and once we get past the establishment stage, um, the afforestation asset is then deemed as an established forest. Um, but it's really the, um, from our perspective, it's the, uh, the moment when the, when the forest has reached its planting completion milestone that we are receiving voluntary carbon credits that recognize the additional and permanent carbon that this forest um, will you know will be sequestering from from the atmosphere um, and also the capital appreciation moment where we've successfully converted you know relatively cheap pasture and grazing land into fundamentally more valuable uh, forested land in terms of just geography where, where these properties are located um, uh, uh, 85% of the portfolio is located in in Scotland um, Scotland is is much more forested than uh, both England and, and Wales. And there are two clusters in Scotland. There's a, a sort of central and south Scotland cluster where there's a, a significant number of sawmills and offtake off for the for the timber that we're producing. And there's a second cluster in, in Aberdeenshire. Um, we also have a cluster of properties in uh, in Wales as well, and a couple of uh, a couple of properties in, in England. Um, but the majority, the lion's share of the portfolio is is located in Scotland. That's a, that's a really interesting point that you make there about the majority majority of the portfolio being located in in Scotland. So I just want to delve in into that, if you may, quickly, Richard. I mean, what what's driven that? Is that because you mentioned there that there's the infrastructure in terms of sawmills in the area, so it, it's just from a cost perspective being more efficient to to be close to these. Is it a down to to planning? Is there is there not as much in the way of acceptance in in the in England for these types of, of projects and maybe more favorable in in Scotland what's really driving the locations of, of these uh, plantations yeah absolutely so we we have literally mapped all of Scotland Wales and northern England and we've overlaid a whole series of map based criteria um, that constitute a, you know a land with good afforestation potential um, and we're talking some 25 to 30, 30 criteria. And we've identified a, uh, a specific list of four and a half thousand properties that meet all of our criteria. Um, and we systematically um, approach the, the landowners of, of these properties um, uh, and, and you know, make, make them an offer to acquire their land. Um, and I think what Scotland has is it's a real sweet spot of um, the land prices, um, the agricultural land prices are slightly less than in England and Wales. Um, so we're able to acquire the land uh, slightly cheaper 
Um, so that you know the, the capital appreciation that's available when we convert it into forested land, all, all else equal, is um, is is slightly better. Um, I think also the um, the kind of planning and grant approvals process in Scotland is is much more developed. And so we see the kind of planning risk uh, associated with developing these schemes as, as slightly less in, in Scotland. Um, and then I think the third key factor is, yeah, the location of um, of sawmills and offtake. Um, because Scotland is just more forested, there's a more established um, you know, sawmill and, uh, and timber processing industry up there. And proximity of forests to offtake is important because it is relatively expensive to haul timber any great distance. Thank you. So the next point, next question that I have, Richard, is really about the mechanics of, of the trust and and how it works in terms of your processes. Are you investing in companies that, that are operating these plantations and, and forests? Or are you going out and actually, as the trust, buying the land yourself and then have the the management systems in, in place to, to get the labour out there to plant the trees and then later uh, harvest them. And I think it ties in quite nicely with how the trust actually generates returns for investors. How much of the process there uh, that you have in place is generating returns? Is it just sort of looking at, at companies that are operating in the area or you're actually getting in there, you're, do, you're planting the trees yourself and then taking off the, the offtake to, to sawmills and generating cash that way. It'd be good to sort of get an idea of yes, the underlying asset class is forestry, but how is it how is it actually positioned, and what are the mechanics within the trust? Yeah, so um, so the trust uh, has a, a series of wholly owned subsidiaries, which have primarily been set up for sort of tax and operational purposes, but the underlying the, the, the investment trust is investing in freehold land so companies within um uh the, the the group structure directly acquire the the title and the freehold to to the land uh that that, that we're investing in um which, most of the time we're acquiring um the property directly occasionally um a seller may have put the property in a corporate structure, and we might acquire the company. Um, uh, but that's 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 a sort of a rarity. I would say typically we're acquiring the land directly, but really primarily this is this is an you know this is an asset backed uh, investment that um, where there's a whole portfolio of of land sit, sitting beneath it. Um, so just in terms of the business model and how the fund generates returns. Um, the engine room of returns is is a forestation wood, woodland creation so we're looking to identify land with uh, a forestation potential now this is typically sheep grazing land and pasture land that has uh, perhaps become sub sub economic for uh, continuing in agriculture um, we ac- acquire that land secure the grants and permits physically plant uh, plant these trees um, uh, and see this the forest established and then we're looking to sell and exit these young established forests um, and by doing that it, it, we're able to realize a uh, you know a significant capital appreciation 
And so we have planted in, in total so far since IPO six new forests from scratch um, uh, that have seen one and a half million trees planted. And on those uh, f- first six forests, we've um, increased the value of the property, those six properties by 98.5% as a result of, of reaching that planting completion uh, milestone. Um, and th- that that uplift in value is a combination of the fact that this is a de-risked asset now. It's 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 a forestry is a, you know it's a valuable um, a valuable property from a from a timber generation perspective, um, but also we've generated voluntary carbon credits um, which have a which have a value as well. So that's the engine room of the returns of forestation. We we also have an allocation to existing established forestry, and our approach there is to um, largely buy and hold these um, existing forests. And we manage them on a rotational basis, harvesting the timber um, as it matures. Often we're looking to restructure these forests, um, so to enhance their design, enhance the species mix, enhance the productivity. So we're adding value um, to to the the existing assets. Um, And yeah, we make money for the company from harvesting um, the timber from these assets. But because of the fundamental shortage of um, of forestry in the UK um, and these sort of this increased uh, supply deficit that is forecast, we're expecting over the long term that the price of timber uh, and therefore existing forestry assets to to appreciate um, as well as generating an income. So that's primarily the business model and how how we um, yeah we, we we make money for the for the company. Thank you. Fantastic. So what I'd like to do now, Richard, is if we may move on and look at, this is an overarching themes in, in investment trusts at the moment. And it's, I think we're at record discounts across the, the space at the moment. And we're also operating now in an area where there's increased scrutiny from the regulator in terms of NAV and how NAV's calculated for illiquid assets. So I wanted to get your, your views on that and, and what you're doing at, at Foresight within, within the trust to give listeners a good insight into you know, what the, the NAV is at, at the moment, how you calculate it, how regularly yeah. you calculate it, and just maybe your views on, on the discount of the share price compared to your NAV at the moment. Yeah, so... so- the investment company has a six monthly valuation. Um, we appoint an independent uh, valuer, and that valuer uses a um, Royal Institute of Chartered Surveyors or RICS um, Red Book valuation methodology. And that methodology looks at over the last six months, it's looking for comparable transactions that have completed. So similar forests of a similar structure um, in the in the local vicinity where transactions have completed, and it's it's then using that comparable set um, to inform the valuation of, of our assets, and the valuer makes appropriate adjustments um, to to the actual com- you know comparable transactions that have been informed. So it's a backwards-looking valuation methodology. Um, and it's based on actual actual transactions in um, in the market, and that I think is is quite different in a way to many investment trusts. Uh, certainly, most 
renewables and infrastructure investment trusts, for example, use a, a, a discounted cash flow approach where the manager projects and forecasts, um, you know, costs and costs and revenues, makes adjustments, um, and then that's that's approved. That's a forward-looking approach, whereas ours is a, is a backwards-looking approach. But I think the the key point is that this is an, a completely independently um, uh, sourced valuation based on actual comparable transactions. Um, so um, that's the main basis of uh, of, of our valuation. Um, so yes, Foresight Sustainable Forestry is um, is trading at a at a discount to its published uh, net asset value um, at at the current time. Um, but the Foresight Sustainable Forestry is is, is not alone. Uh, most, uh, if not all, listed uh, investment trusts are trading at um, at discounts and significant discounts to to their net asset values at, at the current time. This is something that is affecting um, most investment trust in the, in the sector um, to, to greater or lesser degrees. And I think what is driving that is we've seen is really the macro. So we've seen you know, rising base rate interest rates. Um, uh, and so many investors are um, reallocating out of alternatives and into, um, and into yeah, bonds and, and fixed, fixed income. Um, so I think uh, so it, and it's yeah. So it's, I think the other the other component is the cost of living crisis and, and inflation. We have seen you know some investors, particularly retail, um, have just sort of been redeeming and, and and reducing the amount of capital that they have invested in the market, and so that creates a um, yeah sort of short term downward pressure on on share prices. And so we have seen uh, share prices disconnect uh, at the current time generally from um, from net asset values um, I think there was an interesting statistic um, that the Association for investment companies um, uh, published uh, earlier uh, last week um, and so it, and, it, and it, its findings were that when discounts were this wide at the end of uh, 2008 after the financial crisis the average investment company returned 39 percent over the next year and 119% over the next five years. Um, so I think these discounts, uh, you know, and it's also the view of the the AIC that um, represents a good op- a good buying opportunity to get access to the underlying you know assets that are within um, within investment companies generally. And I think um, for Foresight Sustainable Forestry specifically, um, you know, since we've IPO'd, you know, we. We've been delighted with the operational performance of the business, and we have been delivering on on the business plan, um, which is primarily focused around successfully planting new forests. And as I mentioned, we've planted six forests uh, to date. Um, we have a further 37 uh, in the portfolio, um, many of which we are on track to uh, achieve that planting completion milestone Um by the end of March uh, 2024, so within within six months, in time for the next uh, valuation, uh, you know, nav nav valuation update. Um, and as I've mentioned, when these afforestation schemes complete planting, that is the kind of capital appreciation moment where the independent valuer recognises, um, yeah, the uplift in the in the value of the property, and it's also when we recognise the voluntary carbon credit value that has been has been created. So I think you know we're 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 tracking well, um, and our guidance remains unchanged. That we're on track to plant many of our schemes by uh, by then, 
um, and you know expect to see the you know associated um, nav nav uplifts with with that moment. Yes, I mean, just look at the discounts. We we welcomed a, a CEO of our private wealth manager based in the Midlands to the podcast last week, and they hold a significant number of investment trusts. And he was discussing the discounts at the moment, and he was saying that was really uh, an area that they were looking at and, and saw a massive opportunity. And just a few days afterwards, I think, as you mentioned there, Richard, the AIC put out a report on the discounts being at, at record levels and then put out some statistics at, as to what had happened in mm. uh, previous periods where there were such large discounts. So obviously, maybe a, an opportunity there. But I just want to go back to the correlation of the, uh, of the NAV because you did mention there that it, it's fairly unique in the way that you calculate that the NAV, which I think is quite interesting because it's actually looking back at what's happening on the ground to some extent. And and it's a comparison, from my understanding, against peers and what's actually happening there in the market as compared to other valuation methods, which are using, using discounted cash flow methods, which employ discount rates and can change pretty sharply and, and and pretty quickly sometimes. So being a a unique trust and being the only trust listed in London with underlying assets in forestry and, and having that unique element and, and way of calculating the NAV, I just want to look at the correlations, Richard, and, and where do you see correlations with your NAV and how you how you compare that to other asset classes? I mean, what is the NAV for the trust most correlated to is it most correlated to equity markets is it infrastructure markets uh private equity fixed income you know for, for the nav of your trust what what are the closest other assets out there that you see yeah i i think one of the key appeals of forestry and natural capital investment is its lack of correlation to traditional asset classes such as equities and bonds and also lack of correlation to um, other alternatives such as infrastructure and, and renewables and, and energy prices. And so, from that perspective, um, you know, an investment in forestry uh, and the and the NAV of uh, you know of UK forestry is is not strongly correlated, and so offers you know strong portfolio diversification benefits when added to a you know a diversified you know a, a balanced portfolio. Um, and I think underpinning that lack of correlation is that at the core of it trees continue to grow and add um bio you know biomass uh, and density regardless of what is going on in the economic environment um and as a, as a forest manager and a forest owner um trees have a a typically a five to ten year sort of optimum harvesting window and so forest owners have the ability to delay harvesting um, uh, in times when perhaps timber prices are slightly softer um, to bring it to market when when timber prices are uh, you know are, are stronger. And in the meantime, the, the trees have continued to add you know volume and, and and weight and become become more valuable. And so that's a key defensive quality of the investment trust, which is quite unique um, compared to many other. Um, investment trust, you know, for example, you know, renewable energy um, uh, investors, you know, when the renewable energy is 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 generated, I mean, it's sold in real time. Um, 
it, 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 it's more difficult to store that energy up and then and then play the energy markets in that in that way, for, for example. Um, and so I think it's 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 that uh, yes, yeah, it's, it, 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 it's not correlated to other asset classes. I think one thing that I would um, observe is that over the long run, forestry uh, does have um, inflation beating characteristics. Um, and so from, from that perspective, it, it does offer you know, a, a good hedge against rising inflation, and um, uh, which, which is the, the sort of environment that we're currently in. Thank you. Thank you very much, Richard. So we're going to move on now. And you did mention carbon credits earlier on in the podcast. And that's something I just want to pick up on now. Because looking back to the presentation that you gave in September, that it was, it was for me personally, that was quite an interesting element. Because of course, there's the the underlying business to some extent of, 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 of buying the land, planting the trees and harvesting them, which produces returns for investors. But there's this secondary to some extent, I don't know whether you'd call it secondary, but uh, element of the business, which is the carbon credits. You know, this is obviously something that, that's been around for, for some time, but it, this is something that can provide investors in this trust returns in, in the medium to longer term. So it'd be good if you'd be able to detail how that actually works within the trust, please. Yeah, absolutely. So um, when we're creating an afforestation scheme, um, we, uh, with the Woodland Carbon Code, which is the, the UK body that issues voluntary carbon credits, they have a defined methodology uh, and a calculator. Um, and so for every tonne of additional carbon dioxide that is permanently sequestered from the atmosphere, as in uh, and uh, for, a, for, for a period of 100 years or more, um, they will issue uh, us and other uh, uh, investors in afforestation assets with one uh, voluntary carbon credit equals one, one tonne of carbon dioxide. Um, and so FSF's portfolio um, uh, of uh, nearly 4,500 hectares of, of land we're, we're looking to plant, um, we're expecting to generate between 1 and 1.2 million voluntary carbon credits. Now, those credits um, uh, ultimately are intended to be used by companies. And so when a company says... Um, we're going to be net zero by 2030 or 2040, whatever their pledge is. There is only two ways that a company making that pledge can, can fulfill it. The first is they need to decarbonize um, their supply chain and their activities by uh, at least 90%. But there will always be a residual of 5 to 10% of emissions that are considered unabatable. It, it is not possible to avoid these emissions with, with current technologies. And for that 5 to 10% of emissions, uh, these companies will have to purchase and retire um, voluntary carbon credits um, of the sort th um, uh, that Foresight Sustainable Forestry is, is creating. And what is exciting about the market for voluntary carbon credits is that we have observed a literal exponential increase in the number of uh, companies who have made science-based net zero pledges so that's the highest integrity form of a of a, of a net zero pledge um there's been a you know a, a doubling in, in the number of companies who have made those pledges for several years now um and i believe we're through five five thousand companies globally who have, who have made these these pledges um and as a result of all uh these pledges there is a forecast shortage in the supply of voluntary carbon credits and boston consulting group are forecasting that 
there will be an insufficient inventory to meet demand as soon as 2027. Um, and as a result, voluntary carbon credit prices are, are for, forecast widely to, to increase very significantly uh, in the run up to 2030 and beyond. Um, uh, the, the forecast range from a sort of a seven-fold increase to a, a 32-fold increase in, in voluntary carbon credit prices. Um, and that, that is, you know, that, that is material for foresight sustainable forestry um, because we're creating so many of these of these voluntary carbon credits. And so the investment company offers um, you, you, you know, access to land and it's underpinned by you know, forestry and freehold, which are considered a relatively low risk investment, um, an asset class. But there is this quite exciting potential for upsides, um, depending on how voluntary carbon credit prices uh, perform over the next, uh, you know, over the next few years. It's also worth noting that um, Foresight Sustainable Forestry is, is the first and still only company that has um, received the London Stock Exchange's um, voluntary carbon market designation. Um, and that designates that we're creating high integrity credits. And it means that all of our investors have the choice either to receive um, cash dividends from the sale of the, the voluntary carbon credits that we're creating, or if they want, um, we can deposit um, uh, these voluntary carbon credits uh, in specie uh, in lieu of a cash dividend into their UK land carbon account. And so we expect over time we'll attract investors who will be interested in securing their supply of voluntary carbon credits um, and receiving them via a stream of dividends. Fascinating, Richard. Thank you. Thank you very much. So to to finish off now and and wrap things up, I'd like to ask you, when investors are looking at the trust and looking at what's going to be happening in the next 12 months, what would you point them to as the most exciting things you feel that they should keep an eye on from Foresight Sustainable Forestry in the coming year? The coming year is, is I think, the most exciting that we've that we've had so far. It's the culmination of more than you know, two years since we IPO'd, and we are expecting to plant most of the four and a half thousand hectares of uh, of a forestation land we, we we are developing. So that will take the number of trees that we've planted from uh, one and a half million uh, up to up to nine million trees. Um, and, and generating yeah, one to 1.2 million voluntary carbon credits. Um, so I would, uh, you know, encourage investors to keep a track. We'll be regularly announcing the progress of our tree planting um, uh, and, and the delivery of that. Um, and yeah, keep keep a close eye on the on the NAV um, because as, you know each for new forest that we establish, um, you know, we're expecting um, you know a significant capital appreciation moment. Uh, related to the increase in the value of the land and, and the creation of these voluntary carbon credits. That's great, Richard. Thank you very much. Just as a note to listeners, I did mention at the beginning of this podcast, if you'd like to know a little bit more, do check out the video section of the UK Investor Magazine website and there'll be the presentation that Richard gave back in September. Um, some great charts in there, great illustrations of some of the points that Richard has made today. There'll also be a link in the notes of this podcast that will take you through to that presentation. So Richard, thank you very much for being with us today. Thank you very much for having me. It's been, been a pleasure. Thank you. And thank you very much to everyone for listening. Thank you.
We hope you enjoyed listening to the UK Investor Magazine podcast. Please do share the podcast and we really value any reviews and comments you leave us in your chosen podcast player. The views presented by the hosts and guests of the UK Investor Magazine podcast are in no way investment advice. And please remember, all investment involves risk.